If you would, take your Bible and open to Matthew chapter 16. Matthew chapter 16. So, with Fall Fest being the, this afternoon, it reminded me that our very first event uh, as a family, my family here at Emmaus, was the Fall Fest four years ago. This is four years uh, this Sunday that, that we've been here at Emmaus, and I just want to say thank you so much for what you've meant to, to me and to my family, uh, and, and the joy of being able to be a part of this church family. I can tell you from where I stand right now, uh, I'm, I'm humbled and I'm excited. Uh, the work that God's done in my life around prayer, around a love for you and what the Lord is doing here and excitement about that, uh, that's, a, that's a gift of God's spirit at work in my life. And I want to tell you how excited I am to think about four years that in many ways for me seems very fast, uh, the last four years, but the incredible gift that that's been, the ways we've seen the Lord at work, um, trying daily to get better at the things I need to get better at, but more than anything, daily trusting the Lord, that he's at work in our lives, that he is doing what he is going to do by his power and by his spirit, and we want to trust him, we want to be involved in that, and so I just continue to invite you to engage in worship, to engage in study of God's word, to live on mission, to do those things that we know that God has called us to do, not just individually, but what he's called us to do together as a church. And so if you are not a part of a church, remember that the calling that we have in our lives as followers of Jesus is not this Lone Ranger individual calling. We love the churches that the Lord has placed around us. We will help you find a church to connect with but be so careful about not being involved in a church. You need the connection. You need the accountability. You need the joy of gathering in worship with people, being able to have those conversations and pray for one another. And so I can tell you I am incredibly excited about doing that here at Emmaus and what the Lord will lead us to in the days to come. And what I really like is this morning, kind of at the year four anniversary, what we have in Scripture this morning is just a simple core text. Now, there are some hard concepts in here. There are some confusing things. There are some things we have to kind of work through. But at the core, this is just a very simple, straightforward gospel message, which is really our only hope to begin with. So we're going to focus right there. So I want to read Matthew 16. We're just going to read a couple of the verses right now, 13 through 16, and then we'll cover through the end of the chapter here in, here in a moment. But I want to start by reading these verses and then praying for us. So this is Matthew 16, verse 13. Now when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. He said to them, but who do you say that I am? Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Let's pray together right now, Emmaus. Father, in this moment, God, help us with everything going on, help us to slow down our hearts, to slow down our minds, and to focus on you. God, we need to hear from you. We need to be able to answer, every one of us, be able to answer the question that's in this text this morning. 
Who do we say that Jesus is? How do we understand that question and the impact that it has in our lives? God, we live in a world where we need so much healing, so much hope, and we believe that ultimately that comes through Jesus Christ. It it doesn't come through any form of political power. It doesn't come through any type of education or financial solution. Our ultimate hope is found in Jesus. And so, God, this morning, remind us what that looks like. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so here's what we have this morning in Matthew chapter 16. What we have in Matthew chapter 16 is what you would call a turning point. So you could almost pretend like if you were holding the gospel of Matthew as a book and you opened it to the center, where does the whole story turn on? It turns on the middle of Matthew chapter 16. So a turning point is just that point where there's a decisive change. It's a watershed moment. It's a critical moment. You watch a sport, sporting event. Sometimes the commentators will say that felt like a turning point in the game. Some play, some call, something that, that happened there. There are turning points in relationships. Maybe you're dating someone and you're trying to figure out, is this going to continue to go ahead or is it not? And there's going to be a turning point. There's going to be a moment that you're going to figure out, yeah, this is going to keep going or, or this may not keep going. So when Amanda and I were dating at Oklahoma Baptist University, I know this will come as a shock to you, but, but I'm not the world's fastest decision maker. <laughs> um, I, I'm a little deliberate. I'm a little slow. I tend to think through things and then think through them again and then maybe overanalyze it again and then maybe possibly come to some form of a decision. So if you're like, hey, why isn't X changed at Emmaus? It's probably just because I'm a really slow decision maker. It takes me a while to process through these things. And so when you're dating someone and you're trying to process through, is this relationship going to, going to move ahead? Amanda's personality is, hey, let's go now and we'll think about it later. And mine's like, hey, let's just think about it a little bit longer. And so we were together one day and we were on, we had gone to a, a nearby park there by the university, and it was kind of a playground sort of area where they had one of these dome-shaped jungle gyms, and we just climbed up to the top of this dome-shaped jungle gym, and we had what turned out to be a very uh, important conversation in our relationship that kind of said, yeah, this is probably going to move forward, and the Lord seems to be in this, and it's probably going to move toward marriage, and so it was a very defining watershed moment in our lives on top of that jungle gym. Well, fast forward a few months, it comes time to propose, and I'm like, hmm, what would be meaningful? How how can I do this? This was before you hid friends in the bushes to take pictures of your proposal, or you, you know, you came up with a way that, thank the Lord, there was no social media to have to worry about any of that, but, uh, so I needed to think of something for the proposal, And I'm not the most extravagant kind of guy. And so I was like, you know what? That jungle gym, that was a really important moment in our relationship. We should go back there, and I'll do the proposal on top of the jungle gym. Um, So we're in casual clothes. I have the ream in my my pocket of my gym shorts. And it's in the box there. And we're riding our bikes to this park. And so I keep cutting Amanda off so she can't get on the side that shows that I have this rain box in my, in my pocket. And so it's, I'm acting even more awkward than usual at this point, trying to keep her on one side of me on the bike. And we get to the playground. 
and we climb up to the top of the jungle gym, and we're having a, you know, a nice conversation. I'm like, okay, when I get down off the jungle gym, that's the moment I, I'm going to propose. Well, at some point, as we're coming down from the jungle gym, kind of the weight of the situation hits me, and I get very lightheaded, and the world starts to spin, and I miss one of the steps on the jungle gym, and it flips me down in the middle of the dome-shaped jungle gym, and I hit the ground so hard as I hit my leg on one of the uh, silver bars on the jungle gym as I'm falling. Thank the Lord, I did not fall on the side that had the rain. I fell on the opposite side, so I'm laying on the ground thinking at any moment Amanda's going to come and check on me and make sure I'm okay. No, no, no. She's like busting up laughing uh, <laughs> over, over to the side. So I'm laying on the ground, but hey, strategically, I'm on the ground. So I roll over onto one knee in a perfect spot to, uh, to do the proposal. So that jungle gym in Shawnee, Oklahoma, remains a turning point for, for our relationship. It was going there, and this was the moment that it was all going to move forward. We have these turning point moments. Guess what? This is a turning point moment for what it looks like to follow Jesus. Verse 13, what makes this a turning point? What am I talking about here? Verse 13 begins in this way. Now when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi. Stop right there for a second. Unfortunately, I forgot my laser pointer this morning, but over here to the side of the screen, Google Maps, there's a red dot toward the north side, toward the top of the map that you might be able to make out there. That's where Caesarea Philippi is located. Now, here's the reason that's important. Caesarea Philippi, in many ways, is as far north as far away from Jerusalem as Jesus will take his disciples. So they have worked their way north, they've done all this ministry in Galilee, and they've made their way up north to Caesarea Philippi. Not a religious area. Well, that's not fair to say. It's a very pagan area. It is religious, but it's not religious in the Jewish sense. It's, it's a very pagan area. Multiple gods were worshipped in this area. This area was ruled by one of Herod's sons named Philip. Philip came to rule this area when he was 16 years old. So you give your kids the keys to the car, and you say, now you're in charge of the kingdom as well. So uh, when he was 16, he came to rule this area, Philip did. Crazy family, but he actually ends up marrying the lady named Salome, who was the little girl that danced at Herod's birthday party a few weeks ago that we read about in the, in the Gospel of Matthew. So really messed up family situation, but Philip was in charge of this area up north. So Jesus takes his disciples as far from Jerusalem as they will go, and then this is going to be the turning point, literally, literally the turning point in the Gospel of Matthew, because what's going to happen from the end of this point to the end of Matthew, they're just going to work their way south, back toward Jerusalem, ultimately to the place of the cross. So this is where this turning point happens. Now look at the second part of that verse. So Jesus takes them up there to Caesarea Philippi, and what does he do when he gets them up there? He asks them, who do people say that the Son of Man is? Now this is a reference, Son of Man's a reference that Jesus has used for himself. So he gets them up there, 
And Matthew's whole, whole gospel has been working toward this question. Who is this guy? Who is this person who has come, this son of man, this one that shows up named Jesus? Who is this? And Matthew's gospel has been helping us to develop the answer, but, but Jesus wants to ask his disciples here, who do, who do people say that the son of man is? Verse 14. Some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and others, Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. Now, they're not downgrading Jesus at this point. They, they feel they're speaking very highly of Jesus at this point, that he was a great prophet in the way he taught, that he was a prophet who did acts that could only come by God's power. But here's the key. He was just, in some sense, one of many prophets who had come. And if we think through this for just a minute, I think... I'm not 100% sure about this, but I think if you went to your workplace, if you went to your school, if you went to the area that you live, this would be a common description of Jesus. Important teacher, good teacher, person with some power, maybe even as far as considering him to be a miracle worker. Now, public perception of Jesus kind of swings back and forth on a pendulum you might find people that hate the idea of religion or the idea of Jesus you might find people that are fascinated with Jesus but they hate the church but generally people will say yeah important teacher powerful person in history but not particularly unique nothing different about him than you would find with any other religious teacher any other prophet now watch what Jesus does he turns the question here verse 15 he said to them, but who do you say that I am? Man, is that an important question to think about. In fact, let me just say, let me go so far as to say this. Hear me out on this. It doesn't matter if you're a teenager or if you're a senior adult. Hear me out on this. How you answer that question is the turning point in your life. How you answer that question is is not just the turning point for the disciples. It is the turning point for every single one of us in our lives. Who do you say that I am? And then Peter steps forward. Simon Peter replied, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Now what is Peter saying there when he says, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God? Remember that Christ is not Jesus' last name. It's not Jesus Christ, first name, last name. Christ is this transliteration, translation that comes over from the word Messiah. Messiah is one who was anointed. In the Old Testament, Messiah could refer to a prophet or a priest or a king. And there was this expectation among the people that the Lord would send a Messiah one day, that God would send a Messiah one day who would rescue the people and overcome the evil in the world, overcome the enemies that the people were facing. And so there was a general expectation that a Messiah would come one day. And Peter is saying, you are the one that the Lord has sent to make everything right, to defeat evil, to defeat our enemies. And not only that, but you are the son of the living God, the unique messenger the unique one sent by God and notice the description there you are the son of the living God remember they're in an area 
where people worship tons of gods. Caesarea Philippi, you would find idols and myths about all these different ancient gods around that area. And Peter says, no, 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 you are the, the son of the living God. He is making a unique claim about who Jesus is and what Jesus has come to do. This is the hope of the world that Jesus has come to be the Messiah and he's come as the son of God. So Peter makes this declaration and then look what Jesus does in response. In verse 17, Jesus answered, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. That word blessed there is the same word you find in the Sermon on the Mount. Blessed are, blessed are, blessed. This is the good life. This is the flourishing life. This is the life you've been called to. You, Peter, you are on your way to the good life because you have made this confession. You know who I am. You've declared that I am the Messiah, that I'm the Son of God. Blessed are you. And then notice how he describes him. Blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah, which just means Simon, son of Jonah. This is interesting because Peter has just called Jesus the Son of God. And now Jesus reminds Peter that he is the son of a human. <laughs> He is the son of this one named Jonah. So he's making this distinction between Jesus, the son of God, Peter as just another person, a follower of Jesus. Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. In other words, you did not come to this declaration. You did not come to this confession purely by natural worldly means you just it's not that you were smarter than everybody else it's not that you figured it out on your own it's that this came to you in a supernatural way this was a revelation of god god allowed you to understand who i am and you have made this confession in response to that so it's a supernatural confession to confess that jesus is the messiah and to say that with your words and truly mean it that is a spiritual work that God is doing in your life. Look at the next part. Verse 18. And I tell you, you are Peter. And on this rock I will build my church. And the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Long before the rock of modern day world, Dwayne Johnson rock, there was Peter, who was the rock, all right? His name, Peter here, refers to a rock. It was the meaning of this word. And so Jesus, Peter has just made a declaration about Jesus, a confession about Jesus. Now Jesus is returning the favor, and he's making a declaration about Peter. He's saying, Peter, on this rock, you are a rock, and on this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Okay, let's just admit up front, in the next two or three verses, there are a lot of things going on in these verses. And there's a lot of different interpretations, a lot of different distinctions between these verses. These verses are very important if you have friends who are part of the Catholic Church, or if you grew up in a Catholic Church background, a lot of differences, a lot of differences between 
how we would understand the work of God, how we would understand the church, and how someone from a Catholic background might understand these verses. Huge distinction in, in these verses. And, and I'll try to point out a couple of those as we go along. If you come from a Catholic background and you have a lot of questions about these verses, email me. Come see me. I'd love to talk to you more about this. Or, or if you're currently a part of a Catholic church and, and you ended up visiting this morning and we're talking about this, I'd love to be able to have a conversation with you about this. But there, there's a lot of things going on in this particular set of verses where he says there, you are Peter. You are the rock. And on this rock, I will build my church. What is this rock? Well, over the years, there's been different ideas about what is being referred to there as, as the rock. And sometimes churches that are not Catholic, like, like maybe like one of ours, like a Protestant church or a Baptist church, we've tried too hard to make that not Peter because we're trying to distance ourselves from some kind of uh, Catholic background. But the most obvious reading of this is when it says, on this rock, it is referring back to Peter. But here's the key. Not referring back to Peter as if he would be the first pope and then many other popes would come from him, would come after him. It's referring back to Peter as the one who has confessed Jesus as Lord, who has made this type of confession. And so when it's referring and saying, on this rock, it's on this foundation of Peter as the representative disciple, as the one who is declaring Jesus as Lord. On this rock, Jesus will build his church. Here's your connection at this point. It's Ephesians chapter 2, verse 20. Where in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 20, we, found out, we find out that on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, the church will be established, but ultimately, Jesus himself will be the chief cornerstone. And so what Jesus is establishing here is those who confess him as Lord, this is the foundation of the church. And notice, I will build my church. Who's in charge of the church? Jesus is. Who is in charge of making sure the church succeeds? Jesus is. And can I tell you, as a young pastor, that is very good news. Because if I can be vulnerable with you for a minute, most days as a pastor, I feel extremely inadequate for you. I feel like we're not making the progress we should be. I feel like I should be doing a lot of other things that I'm not doing. Like, God, we've got to move this thing forward. We've got to continue. And no, no, no. Jesus will build this church. He will do it, and he will do it in his way. And it's based upon those who confess him as Lord. And that's not something we can do purely by human strength or human intellect. It is a supernatural work. And so let me say this as carefully and as straightforward as I can. The gates of hell shall not prevail against it which means that social media is not going to take down the church of Jesus Christ, okay? Social media is not going to take it down. Anything happening in politics is not going to take it down. Anything happening in your world, death itself is not able to stop Jesus from building his church. So let's all take a deep breath and say we confess him as Lord. That is our hope. That is our hope for the church today, 
That's our hope for the church tomorrow. And so what are we going to go forward on? My intellect? Oh, God, help us that that's not the case. No, we're going to go forward confessing that he is Lord because we are built on the confession of the apostles and the prophets and all those who have confessed the Lord because he's ultimately the cornerstone of the church. Now watch what happens next. Watch what happens next. Verse 19. So Peter, I'll give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Just a little bit of chance to raise your hand and kind of get your body moving. How many of you have seen a picture of Peter standing at the pearly gates welcoming people into heaven? Anybody seen a picture like that? Peter standing at the pearly gates working people? Yeah. That is not what this verse is referring to. This is a verse about the ministry that Peter is going to carry out. This is not the idea that Peter stands at the pearly gates and you tell Peter all the good things you've done. If you've done a lot of good things, you'll get to come into heaven, but if you're not, you'll probably get cooked out of heaven. That is not Christianity. That is not what's going on here. Peter has been given the keys to the kingdom. And do you know how he's going to use those keys? I can point you to the most direct way he does it. If you later read in your Bible, Acts chapter 2, and Acts chapter 10, and Acts chapter 15, you will find this verse being lived out. And even better, in a couple of weeks, when we get to Matthew chapter 18, you're going to find this type of directive not just given to Peter, but given to all of the followers of Christ, that we begin to be called into this type of ministry. And so I'm going to give you the keys of the kingdom. You're, Peter, going to be able to declare what is true, not because you're in charge of the church, but because you're in tune with what God is wanting to say. And so you're going to be able to tell that to the people. Verse 20, though, Jesus tells them, then he strictly charged the disciples to tell no one that he was the Christ. You're like, well, that's a weird verse. All it means is that the time is not right yet. Until Jesus gets to the cross, he can't cause confusion and chaos. He has to get to the cross, and then that will be the right time. Peter, you're going to get to use the keys. Just put them up for a while, all right? So the illustration here is Peter has his learner's permit, but he doesn't have his driver's license yet. So Jesus is like, Peter, here's the keys. You just can't use them yet. Hold on to them. The time's going to come. You're going to get to use them. Now let's talk for just a second. Let's take a quick break here. Let's talk for a second about this confession, okay? When you get a little further in the Bible, you get to Romans chapter 10, verses 9 through 10. If you got a copy of the sermon notes when you came in, um, these verses, I believe, are printed on there because I want you to see them. When we talk about confessing the Christ, these are the verses right here. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. Everybody, all right? Everybody, everybody, everybody at this moment. Kids, teenagers, adults, everybody with me. Who do you say that Jesus is? 
what is your confession, your personal confession about Jesus Christ? Do you believe that he is Lord and Savior? Is that your confession, that he is the Christ, the one sent to rescue us? He is the son of the living God. He alone is able to show us God's power. Is that what you believe? Amen that that's what you believe. Is that what you believe? Have you confessed that publicly? Have you said, I want people to know that this is what I believe? At the end of the service today, 10 or 15 minutes from now, at the end of the service, you're going to have a chance to do that. You're going to have a chance to say, you know what? I have never publicly told anyone that I believe that is true, but I do, and I want someone to know that. During the final song, you're able to come down here to the front and just say, you know what? I don't know if I can say it in the right words, but I believe that is true about Jesus, and I want people to know it. And we'll help you walk through that process. Or if you can't do it then, when the whole service is finished and people are leaving, tell somebody. Come tell one of us. We want you to know what it means to make that confession that that's my hope. Now, here's a harder question, okay? Because you might be here this morning and say, yeah, amen to that. that. That is true. I do believe that. How do I know that I really believe that? How do I know that that's really true? What does that confession actually lead to? If I, if I sign up for your program, Owen, what exactly am I signing up for? I'm glad you asked. All right? Verse 21. Verse 21. From that time, this is a turning, another turning point in, in Matthew's writing. From that time, for the rest of Jesus' ministry, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. Well, this is not what Peter expected, and he doesn't hear what Jesus says about the resurrection. All he hears is suffer and be killed, and he's like, whoa, time out. That's not what I signed up for. Verse 22. So Peter who apparently is riding a little high since he was given the keys to the kingdom. Parents, you give your, key, your, your kids the keys to the car, and all of a sudden they own the world. Um, so Peter thinks, gets confused here. Verse 22, Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, Far be it from you, Lord, this shall never happen to you. In other words, you're not going to suffer. You're not going to die. You came as the one to win the victory, not be defeated. What, what happened here? Verse 23. Jesus turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are a hindrance to me. For you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. Well, man, this is <laughs> what seemed like such a good experience now it's turned into a really difficult rebuke that the Lord is giving to Peter here. Get behind me, Satan. What's he doing there? It seems like the major issue that Peter runs into is Peter wants the kingdom to come. He wants to see the power of God come, but he doesn't want the cross to be part of that plan. He wants the kingdom but he wants the kingdom without the cross, without the suffering, without the difficulty. Now watch this. This is fascinating how the Gospel of Matthew works. Back in Matthew chapter 4, 
Satan came to tempt Jesus. And much of the temptation of Jesus in Matthew chapter 4 is Satan was offering Jesus a way to the kingdom without the cross. And now Peter is doing the same thing, except in Matthew chapter 4, when Jesus got to the end of the temptation accounts, do you know what he said to Satan? He said, be gone, Satan. What does he say to Peter here? He just says, get behind me. (laughs) He doesn't banish Peter in this moment. He just says, you're getting in the way of what we've been called to do. Get behind me and follow me. You're not in charge. You're not leading where this ship is going. Get behind me, Satan, because right now you're a hindrance. What did Peter's name mean? It meant rock. You can either stand on a rock or you can trip on a rock. Either that rock is going to be a foundation to build something on, or it's going to be a stumbling block. And right now, Peter, you're supposed to be the foundation, and you're actually tripping us up. You're getting in the way of what we call to do. And then look at the end of that verse. Man, if you're going to underline anything in these verses, the second half of verse 23, I, I cannot overemphasize, because really the second half of 23 is going to be what explains the next set of verses to come. The end of 23 is the key here. You are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. Peter, all you can think about is comfort and success and power, and now I'm the Messiah, and you're going to get the keys. And er You're not seeing this from God's perspective. So what happens in verse 24? Jesus told his disciples, If anyone would come after me, if you're going to go on this journey that we're about to go on, if anyone would come after me, guess what you get to do? You deny yourself, let him deny himself, take up his cross, meaning embrace God's will, even when it leads to suffering, even when it leads to death. Take up your cross and follow me. Verse 25. For whoever would save his life, try to hold on to his life, will actually lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Sometimes when you're going through life transitions, maybe you're in college, maybe you're trying to make decisions about college, you're trying to make decisions about, about life, people will say, I'm trying to find myself. I'm trying to find myself. The Bible gives the way that you find yourself. You turn away from yourself and you follow the way of Jesus, then you'll really find the life that you've been called to live. Verse 26. What will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? What shall a man give in return for his soul? It doesn't matter how successful your business is. It doesn't matter how popular you are. It doesn't matter how powerful you are. None of that matters. aside from understanding what it is to be rightly related to God, to confess Jesus, to take up your cross, and to follow him. You could gain the whole world, but it does not matter if you lose your soul. This is the core of what we've been called to live. Here's the problem, that we would confess Jesus as Messiah, we would confess him as Lord, and then we would try to live for the things of the world. Do you see the danger there? 
So Peter confesses Jesus as Messiah, as Son of the living God, as Lord, as Savior. He makes this confession. He says it with his mouth, and then he wants his life to be about accruing all these comforts and all these things of the world. And Jesus says, no, when you confess me, you're turning away from yourself, you're taking up your cross, and you're following me. We're not living for what we see right now. Why? The question is why? And it comes in verse 27. Verse 27, why would you live this way? Like, what's the purpose that you're getting at, Owen? Verse 27, for the Son of Man is going to come with his angels in the glory of his Father, and then he will repay, he will judge each person according to what he has done. If you were here last Sunday, Andy was preaching about the return of Christ. Why does it matter what I'm living for? Why does it matter what I confess? Because there is an eternity ahead, and every one of us will stand, not before Peter, based on how many good things we've done, every one of us will stand before the Lord, and our hope is in Christ, what he has done for us. And so Jesus says, why would you live for the things of this world when one day these things will not matter at all? This is not what you've called to give your life to. We're called to give ourselves to the kingdom of God, so don't live for the things of now. And then he turns around in verse 28, and he says this. Truly I say to you, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. Now Jesus is not repeating the same point from verse 27 here. What Jesus seems to be doing in verse 28 is he's telling them, and this is about to begin right now. Yes, there's eternity coming. One day I will come back and judge all people. But guess what? The glory of God is showing up right now. And the question is, will you confess me and will you carry your cross? With your mouth, will you proclaim that Jesus is Lord? And with your life, will you display that you've given everything to him? So what's the connection here? How do we bring this to kind of to a close? Here's, here's what I want to bring to a close for you this morning. These, these kind of four things that fit together. How do we connect the pieces of God's kingdom here? Number one, confess Jesus as Lord and Savior. Remember that core question. Who do you say that I am? Who do you say that I am? Every person in here, who do you say that Jesus is? Confess him as Lord and Savior. Number two, when we do that, remember what Jesus is building. So those who confess him as Lord and Savior, what is he doing with us who make that confession? He's building us into his church. He's building his church. And so when you make that confession, you connect with those who make the same confession. That it's that confession that Jesus is Lord that draws us together. Here's the thing about the church. It's usually a group of people who, under other circumstances, might not be together. Like, let's be honest. Sunday morning, 11.30, we're all probably not going to be in this room together were it not for the fact that we confess Jesus as Lord. That's our hope. We all come here on the same footing. We all come here with the same hope, with the same desire to make that confession together. So you make that confession and then you connect with the church, and then you learn, how do I live this out? 
how do I display this in my life? How do I not live for now, for worldly things? How do I set my mind on the things of God? How do you do that? You do that through scripture. You do that through being part of the church. You do that as you continue to grow in your faith. And then you take that and you share it with others. You urge people to consider what does it mean to be part of God's kingdom? To say, this life is not all that we are going to live for. And those are hard conversations to have. But some of the most important conversations you can have with your friends and your neighbors and your family members is a very simple conversation. What we see right now is not the end of the story. We are not living to see how much success we can have, to see how much we can accumulate, because that is not where our hope is found. Who do you say that Jesus is? When you sit down with someone over coffee or over lunch, it's not a bad question just to ask them, who do you say Jesus is? Who do you understand Jesus to be? Open-ended question, but it gives you a way to say, this is who I believe Jesus is, and this is the impact that he's made in my life. Would you bow your heads with me? I know we've covered a lot of, uh, a lot of verses this morning, but I want to make sure we don't miss what's most important. What do you believe in your heart? What do you speak with your mouth about this confession? What do you declare about Jesus? That is the turning point for your life. That impacts what you live for. That impacts the decisions that you make. Impacts everything. All of eternity turns on that question of our identity of Jesus. Right now, if you have never made that confession before, I pray that in your heart you would say, Lord, I believe that Jesus is my Savior. I believe that he is my rescuer. I believe that he is my hope. My only hope for life, my only hope for eternity is because Jesus has died for me, taken my sins, and he rose again to defeat the power of death. You may not know all the answers. You may have tons of questions, but you believe that that is true. I pray that you would make that confession this morning. And if you have, if you say, you know what, Owen, I did that 50 years ago. I, how does that confession impact the way you live your life every day? God, I pray that if there's anyone in here who is tempted to gain the world and yet lose their soul, God, get their attention today. Let us live for you. Let us live for your kingdom because you are our living hope every day. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen.